Oh shit, we're back. Episode 51 of Make Your Own Damn Podcast. I am Lucas, that is Jeff. Hey, how's it going this week? It's going pretty awesome, man. I almost feel I almost feel like this is like our season two in a way. <laughs> you feel like that first? Yeah, we were talking a little bit after last week's recording that that Toxic Avenger episode felt really good to both of us and... It took us 50 episodes to get there. Like, I remember us yeah. having behind-the-scenes conversations over, like, oh, various things just aren't working. And I was pointing out most of my favorite podcasts really didn't find their footing until, like, they started to figure out around episode 30 what they wanted to do. And then around episode 50, they actually start getting good at it. And around episode 100, they start getting listeners. So we're still working on that part. And, hey, everyone listening to this, you know, you can share, retweet. Word of mouth really helps. Yes, please do. And you but, can even say that you uh, liked us before it was cool. Exactly. <laughs> and I also acknowledge at the beginning of this, um, it just got announced on Twitter the day that we are recording this, that Lloyd Kaufman has come down positive with COVID-19. Uh, we oh, wish shit. him the best speedy recovery. He posted a video that he's in good spirits, and he's treating his COVID with Corona beers. And this hey. is very on-brand messaging for Lloyd Kaufman. That's incredibly on-brand for Lloyd, and I think, um, I think, uh, I think he's going to be fine. I mean, you know, Corona beer, you know, is obviously, obviously. It's like one of those things that cancels each other out. <laughs> so to, ce- right to, ce- to celebrate, let's go with that. We're going to discuss a movie that has nothing whatsoever to do with trauma. Um, completely outside of Tomosphere and type of movie which isn't really been kind of the focus of a lot of type of work that we cover on this show, but I personally argue that it fits in very nicely with everything we cover and that if you like the old exploitation styles, you're going to fucking dig Kevin Smith's very divisive 2014 release, Tusk. Very divisive and also very independent. So, you know, I mean, he really did. Um, I don't know. I mean, nothing to do with trauma at all, but I, I feel like it did follow that model of just like making your own movie. It did and it didn't, and we'll get into that over the stories behind all the behind the scenes of making of this movie. There is yeah. a bit of. This is an example which is kind of cool to see, and it's kind of puzzling why you don't see it more often, where a filmmaker with some clout just decides, fuck it, I'm just going to do my little project here and just go out there as I want and just have fun with it. Who cares if it's a success, success or not? I still have a successful career. I have lots of money already in the bank. It's not going to ruin me. I don't know why we don't see more filmmakers doing stuff like this. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, I guess, like, the way it's been explained to me is that, like, they just, I don't know, they just see it as, like, it doesn't make financial sense because, like, they're worth more now. But it's, like, if you're really, I don't know, if you're really in it more for the art, and I'm not saying, like, don't sell out. Definitely sell out. It's worth it. 
<laughs> you know, I've been trying to sell out. I've been asking for years. I've been putting out my information out there publicly that I'm very interested in selling out, and no major conglomerates have gotten back to me yet. Oh, man. And that's, uh, yeah, you are definitely for sale and at a very reasonable price from what very, I understand. Very reasonable. So, what is your experience, Lucas, with both Tusk and Kevin Smith? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so... I'll start with Kevin Smith. I am definitely a fan. Um, I I saw his first. I think I like around the time Dogma came out, or like maybe a few months after. I just ended up watching like all his movies for the all the, all those those first four movies for the first time. Oh, uh, Clerks, Mallrats, Chasing Amy, Dogma. Yeah, exactly. And totally fell in love and like my enthusiasm lasted long enough for me to like be like, all right, I'm going to see Jay and Silent Bob strike back in the movie theater. And so, yeah, like, I don't know. I, I saw it in the theater at the height of my fandom. So I would say that's probably like the best time to see that movie because it is literally all in jokes for like and fans. Of- yeah, it's, it's in jokes and it does not hold up very well, in my opinion. I, I couldn't tell you. I haven't seen it in so long. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of those original films. Um, uh, but everything since Strike Back, it's been kind of in and out for me. Not, not necessarily hit and miss for him. Like, I just haven't seen everything since then. Um, so since you stopped watching, there was also Jersey Girl. Clerks 2, Zack and Miri make a porno, Cop Out, Red State, Jay and Sil- oh, I'm in- oh, let's may as well count it, Jay and Silent Bob's super groovy cartoon movie, Tusk, Yogurt Hosers, Jay and Silent Bob reboot, and coming out shortly, Clerks 3 and Kilroy was here. Okay, I've so I've seen, I've seen a few of those, I've seen Clerks 2, I've seen Reboot, um... I've seen Red State and I loved Red State. Uh, I and then I and then um, yeah and then this this week uh, last night in fact I saw Tusk. Um, and uh, man, my history with that movie is weird. Like I don't I don't know why I didn't see it before. I um, I think like if I recall correctly, like when it came out, I just. I don't know if I just wasn't in the mood for something like tortury or whatever. Tortury is definitely not a word. Um, <laughs> but uh, I um, I just wasn't in the mood for that um, or something. Or, or I don't know. I don't know what. Because I liked Red State. So you would think that I would jump on whatever his next horror project would be. Yeah, which maybe that, that was also what really surprised me. Because I so, also think... Red State is phenomenal. Um, it is the, believe in my opinion, the only serious Kevin Smith movie in this filmography that actually works. Like, I think there's only two movies where he's trying to be completely serious, and they are um, Jersey Girl and Red State. Now, I haven't seen mm. Jersey Girl. I see it's described as a comedy drama, but I think it's supposed to be a bit more on the drama side. Um of all of, of all of Smith's main filmography, I've I've only not seen Jersey Girl and Cop Out. 
I've I've seen okay. all of his other movies. I've also seen the Clerks TV show. I've watched uh, many where uh, Jay and Silent Bob are selling uh, firecrackers yes. instead of weed. Yes, <laughs> yes, and it's actually a great. It's actually a pretty good cartoon. I find it mm-hmm. very very funny. Um, I've also watched numerous of his, he releases these specials of him doing spoken word Q&A engagements. Yes. I've I watched a, a shit ton of those. of those and they're, a lot of them are really, really excellent. He's a I thought f- phenomenal. Burn pub- in Hell was really good. Um, Burn in Hell, what was, uh, which. I think that's the one he did like after Red State. Yes. Yes. That's the one after Red State. Yeah. And I, I haven't seen it yet, but I really want to see um, the I, – I, he did one that was filmed an hour before he had his heart attack in 2018. Oh, shit. So Man. I'm not sure if you remember this, but he had did a set. He was taking a break and about to do another set, and it was yeah. in between he had the heart attack. He actually has it on recording and publicly released it, the set he did right before his own heart attack. Damn. Which almost scaled up. Which, that's kind of crazy artistic commitment right there. It really is. It really is. And he's also, and we're going to get much, much more heavy into this as this episode goes on, uh, Kevin Smith got super into podcasting. He was one of the really early, super early adopters of podcasting. And mm-hmm. I used to listen to a lot of his early podcasts. And we'll get to that shift over a little bit later. But in case it's not obvious, I have a very extensive Kevin Smith history i consider myself a kevin smith fan i don't like everything he does but i do essentially try to see everything he does i just avoided jersey girl and cop out just because i was like don't care about these movies and i never um, got around to seeing them he's one of the uh i don't know i feel like he's one of the few um like truly independent voices left in in a way like he's just does his own thing, you know. He was from that 90s generation of those reg- renegade filmmakers, included like Kevin Smith, Quentin Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez, Coen Brothers, Coen Brothers um, and I'm sure you could come up with a shit ton of other examples of people. Um, oh, actually, um, Christopher, was Christopher Nolan part of this or did he come later with... Um, he came at the very tail end. I think I do- following is 96 or 97. I, I thought so. The follow- um, following, the Memento yeah. is... Is a little bit what? later. Yeah. But I was yeah. thinking... Fo- 2001, I think. But there's all the these... Yeah. So, yeah. So, you could even group kind of Christopher Nolan in with these uh, these filmmakers. Um, and, and like I said, there's a lot of others that essentially did do the film in your backyard movies with just the equipment you can get on hand. You work a shitty day job, put all of your money into it, rent slash buy equipment, get your friends together film a movie, and holy shit, it somehow ends up in movie theaters. And that's the story where Clerks came to be. Like, And I yep. first saw Clerks, this is no joke, I first saw Clerks when I was working at a, I was working at a video store, and because he got free rentals working at a video store, I, uh-huh. I took out Clerks, and it was a, um, no, I had already seen Mallrats, I had seen Mallrats before. Mallrats was my first Kevin Smith movie. I hadn't seen Clerks yet. And I was working at a video store, and my girlfriend at the time worked at a gas station slash convenience store. And so watching Clerks while working in the, like, being in that <laughs> position felt very, very fitting. Yes, yes. I could relate a um, lot to Dante. 
Uh, or um, I'm sorry, not Dante. Yeah. Um, Dante works at Randall. The, Randall. I could relate. Relate. No, I always related to Randall in Clerks. I was Randall. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, Randall's great. I love. I love just like. I love his attitude. Just like where he's like. I don't know. Like this job would be perfect if it wasn't for the fucking customers. <laughs> I think that all the. All the time about jobs I've had. All the fucking time. Right now I'm yep. you know, like I, I'm working with cats and I'm like, man, this job would be perfect if it wasn't for the humans. Like Yep. <laughs> but and that's true at the oh, video man. store, like I uh I had this person come in once and I, I may have told this story before on the show already, but if I have too bad, it's gonna tell it again. This person came in and they were gonna rent a movie. And they picked the movie um, about Smith, starring Jack Nicholson. I don't know if right. anyone remembers that movie, but it's actually oh, yeah. a rather, uh, rather I, well I think, done character piece. I think the reason I remember it is because I worked at Hollywood Video. Like, yeah. it, we had the big display. You know, you know how, how it went. Exactly. I worked at Hollywood Video as well. Yeah, and yeah. guys, like, is this any good? I'm like, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good drama movie, whatever. And that guy fucking hated it. He hated it so much that whenever he came back, if I was working, he'd ask me, he'd hold up to me, he'd ask me, do you like this? And if I said yes, um, like, or is this good? And if I said yes, he'd put it back. Oh, man. <laughs> That's incredible. And this is like, I'm like, about, I'm not, I also would be like, about Smith's never been like a favorite movie of mine. If it wasn't for the fact that I offended this guy so much by telling him it was a good movie, I would completely have forgotten that I ever saw that movie. It only sticks in my head because that one guy was so offended. That's great. He was just like, I don't know, like you were like his, um, I don't know, like warning of what like movies we're bad or not, like, because he's just like, oh, if this guy likes it, it sucks. I also remember somebody else um, asking for a new movie, and Gangs of New York had just come out on video that week, and I was like, oh, Gangs of New York, Martin Scorsese, turn of century gang warfare in New York City, it's really cool. I still back Gangs of New York. I think Gangs of New York oh, is, yeah. is a great movie. And she was so, or I think it was a woman, she was so angry with me. Uh, when she returned the movie, that she hated Gangs of New York that much. And it wasn't before you being like, oh, she was offended that. No, she just thought it was a bad movie. She just thought it was boring and bad. And why yeah. would anyone. This sucks as a movie. I don't know what she was looking for. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's what made those kind of jobs hard, right? Like, because at the end of the day, like, these, these are like. This is a subjective thing, right? Like. Oh, I learned pretty quick. And it was a skill that uh, stayed with me through, like, working, uh, tabling with political issues, and also then tabling uh, um, with the Razorhead Press, selling books at various events. When people being like, recommend me something, follow-up question always needs to be as a good salesperson of, like, well, what do you like? Well, what do you like? What, what are you yep. into? What's your favorite blank? And that you get a little... Yeah tastes of what they want and then you can steer them down the appropriate direction to where they'll be satisfied with what you can recommend and it's uh, like ah oh, you like slapstick comedies okay here's what here's one like i myself might not be into slapstick comedies but if i had a video store around me to look i'm sure i could point out some movie to be like this is oh, probably yeah. what you would enjoy if you like this you'll like that yes which a lot of people man that's a whole nother rant. A lot of people trying to sell their stuff as independent artists have a really hard time grasping how to make that work effectively for themselves. 
Yeah. So, so, so let's go back to Tusk here. Now, in the off chance that somebody listening to this doesn't know what Tusk is, here's the description from the black back of the uh, uh, Blu-ray I have. And it says, from writer-director Kevin Smith comes this wickedly funny modern-day monster movie that will hold you in terror as it keeps you in stitches. A podcaster looking for a juicy story is plunged into a blood-curling nightmare after he travels to the backwoods of Canada and meets an eccentric recluse with a lifetime of adventures and a disturbing fondness for walruses. And what this movie turns into is just like this weird, tongue-in-cheek, pure body horror about a man being forcefully transformed into a walrus. I mean, like, that's that's why I, like, recommended this movie. Like, the type of plot in this movie is the type of things that was been, like, on 42nd Street in the 1960s and 70s. Like, oh, this would have been, like, an old-school grindhouse film back in the day. And weirdly, we have this, like, independent hero turned Hollywood darling making this totally tongue-in-cheek, tasteless, body horror, exploitation, nihilistic yeah. film. Like, this it's movie been, is so mean-spirited and downbeat. If it had been made with, like, a much lower budget and was made, like, 40 years ago, it would have been distributed by something weird. You know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. This is, like, this is a something weird movie on Hollywood scale. Or, shall yeah. I say, Hollywood talent behind it. Because, shockingly right. low budget, $2.8 million for the whole movie, in which... Just to say, um, I don't know the exact number. I couldn't find it anywhere. But everyone involved with the movie says um, licensing the rights for Fleetwood Mass Fleetwood Max song Tusk for the climactic scene was the single most expensive thing for the movie. And Kevin Damn. Smith says that the um, the cost for licensing that song was higher than all the special effects put together. So, crazy. so it could have been, and in fact, that uh, Kevin Smith never seriously intended to include that song in the movie. Um, it was when he got a distribution deal, they threw some more money at him, uh, A24 did, and we'll get into this later, to just get the rights for that song. So, but I mean, like, this is probably more like a $2 million movie. I don't know. This is such a weird movie to watch, man. Like, the things it gets most of its or what or the things about this movie that get the most criticism that I've that I've noticed is were were actually things that I wasn't bothered by at all like um a lot of the negative reviews focused on uh the tonal inconsistencies um I actually thought that was one of the I don't know that was one of the the aspects of the movie that I liked I, most, like, I agree with you on that. I think the tonal inconsistencies really work in this movie, especially with how absurd the uh, the plot the is. is. It, it's yeah. just so absurd. And they lean into it really straight, but then are also kind of perfectly happy to take a moment and have a scene and essentially have all the characters sit around and talk about it, like, isn't this fucked up and weird? We're all talking about a guy getting turned into a, a walrus. Even yeah. though when the characters... 
I'm thinking of having that question. They don't know they're being turned into walruses yet. They just know something really weird is happening to the bodies that this killer is capturing. Right, right. The uh, crucified T-Rex, as they put it, they keep finding yes. the bodies in the position of. And if yep. you're trying to, if anyone listening trying to visualize that, they're referring to that the uh, bicep portions of the arm are getting sewn to the side of the body so that, mm-hmm. that it's just the forearm and the hands that have movement, you know, like flippers. Yeah. Um, this movie also comes under fire for being too long. That was not the impression I got at all. Like, I, that, it's, it's, it's um, about 101 minutes. But yeah, it didn't feel that way. Like I, I, I remember like at one point pausing the movie and and being like, "Wow, I thought there was going to be like way more of this because I I didn't I don't know it flew by for me. Like I was, I think I was a lot watching of it at night and tonal yeah. issues that people have, and um, especially on rewatches of this movie, I agree with is. Um, Introducing Johnny Depp's character, and that there's two scenes mm. in the middle of the movie that we're having this constant escalation of what's happening to this podcaster being held hostage and how he's being physically tortured and transformed into a walrus. And then we cut to the Johnny Depp scene with the podcaster's co host and his girlfriend trying to um, meet each other at the fast food restaurant. And Johnny Depp's character going on that monologue. And then we yeah. also then have the flashback scene with Johnny Depp's character meeting um, the villain of the movie years previously. And the two of them trying to out-accent Port- each other. Portrayed by Michael Parks. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that scene is really just them chewing up and spitting out the scenery and goes on for <laughs> way too long. And listening to the audio commentary about this movie... Uh, Kevin Smith is in love with that scene, and I'm sorry, I think that whole th- scene could have been just stripped, cut from the movie, and it wouldn't matter at all. Yeah. Um, we just need to know that, that this that this cop has been hunting, knows there's this killer out there, and it's been hunting them for ten years. We don't need to have this thing of them meeting, it literally adds nothing to the movie. It, it yeah. pads the well, length. It's a fun scene, though. I I, I thought. I, you know. I don't like that scene, especially on rewatches. I just think That's it really fair. drags the movie to a halt. So I want to I want to rewind a little bit. Uh, yes. You mentioned the co-host character. Uh, it's played by fucking Haley Joel Osment, the I see dead people kid. Oh, yes, yes, yes. We have to talk about what that. What the fuck? Yeah. How did that happen? I thought that kid like retired. He's actually had a fairly decent um, uh, film career. Uh, he had a recurring role in the phenomenal uh, Amazon Prime TV series, only lasted one season, Alpha House, which mm-hmm. um, stars uh, John Goodman and Bill Murray's a star of the first episode. And it's about uh, Republican senators... Uh, room sharing in a townhouse in Washington, D.C., which is a real thing that happens in real life that, like, Senate isn't always in session, and so when they're not in D.C., they go home. 
some people that are really ultra rich have like their own houses in DC when they go back and forth. But there's other people that they'll literally like have a big townhouse and it's all these senators have, this is all real in real oh, life. Shit. That senators will have their bedrooms and they'll have their shared kitchen and shared bathroom and that. And Amazon Prime made a political dramedy called Alpha House about this exact thing starring John Goodman. Um, it's great. It is really, it's that really funny. funny. And, uh, and H- Haley Joel Osment is in that. Um, he's also done a lot of voiceover work, a lot of TV work. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I didn't, I I wasn't aware that he was still working, but I, I recognized him right away. Like I was like, is that, and I like, I looked up, I was like, oh yeah, that's, that's him. That's him. Holy shit. And he also had a reoccurring role in uh, Silicon Valley. Um, okay. He, he was, oh, he's been on a bunch of Star Trek, Star Trek stuff. Um, yeah, he, he's he's actually kind of had like a career, just kind of like hanging around in the background. Nice, nice. This was, to the best of my knowledge, though, like, um, after the Sixth Sense, this was the only other movie that I'm aware of that really pushed him really front and center. Like, he's like a main character in this um, movie. Well, a artificial intelligence. He was, you know, the main character. Oh, oh, is he in that? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. He's the uh, robot boy, the android. And then also though, to go back to that co-host character, and about how I already brought up this movie so mean. So the co-host is fucking the guy's girlfriend. They're having yeah. an affair, and I'd like to point out that the movie ends with them together. <laughs> yeah, they're the bad people in the relationship, and they end up together. Well, I mean, it's the the protagonist is also a cheat, uh, a frequent cheater, though, is he not? Yeah, which is actually the elements of a. So their podcast I record. What is their podcast about? So from what I understand, it's like it, it's like just like super like uh, cringe comedy, like like. I mean, I think they even use that like that term like they say it's in the original shooting script which when they were filming it this is all according to kevin smith they changed it all on site at filming because the actors didn't think it worked the podcast is actually about is that main character um would go to places and have sex with swingers and then come back and tell the stories on the podcast oh jesus and that the whole reason he was going to go to canada it all kind of got added after with the Kill Bill uh, boy. Uh, it was Kill, ri- Bill, kid. Kill yeah. Bill Kid. That's a, he was originally going up there to a sex party. That when he got there, the sex party fell through. So he was looking for another weird story. Gotcha. Which gotcha. also makes that scene where he's begging his girlfriend for a blowjob in different contexts. Because also in the original screenplay, she was supposed to start crying and then go down on him while she was crying. Jesus Christ. Which the actors were like, um, we're not sure what you're going for here, Kevin Smith. Like, we get that, like, this is a horror movie, but this is just so negative, you're just going to alienate everybody. And so the actors yeah. came up with their other relationships. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he's always... Kevin Smith has always had, like, a very 
dark streak, though. Like, I mean, the original ending of Clerks was Dante gets shot. Yes. Yeah, it just ends with him just getting shot in (laughs) a random robbery. Yeah. Yeah, so Kevin Smith and um, uh, Red State was also supposed to have another, um, had a different ending as well. That the ending right. of Red State was supposed to be when the Trump. So what we see in the movie is that the trumpets being blown is like the neighbors fucking with them over land law usage or something like that. Uh-huh. And in the uh-huh. original cut, I'm sorry, in the original script, the it was actually the trumpets of the apocalypse the rapture, and that yeah. they were right about everything. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, he's got a dark streak in in him. I do think that change was a good change. I uh, think it was a good change as well. I think the actors were right about about that one. Um, I like keeping in, though, the infidelity aspect and even not having uh, the main character even become aware of it and not really factoring into anything. But it made relationships more interesting, which is that something a lot of movies, not even a lot of movies, any storytelling medium, like, creators aren't always putting as much conflict in as they could. Right, And and conflict doesn't always have to, like, be this big plot point thing. It can just make things interesting. Because these two characters, his co-host and his girlfriend, um, now, like, they feel a bit guilty that they're cheating on him. And, like, they may have their reasons to, but they still feel guilty about it. And they are doing a kind of a violation of the trust of the relationship, but now he's gone mm-hmm. missing, and they're also two people closest in his life, so that guilt also kind of pulls them together and also helps motivate them to find this guy and to bring him yeah. back. It It's great, because it, like, it deepens the characters and it raises the stakes, like all those things you hear about that you're supposed to do in a story and stuff. I will say, because, like, um, in that initial scene where she's like kind of talking to the camera but she's like talking to uh she's talking to Haley Joel Osment and she's like crying and talking about how like you know the main character played by Justin Long mm-hmm. uh like cheats on her and, and stuff um I thought like the twist was going to be that they sent him on this on purpose to like get like oh get caught oh I see yeah yeah and I was like I don't know if I like that but I actually like I don't know. I like I like what they did better. Like I like it. Like just... Oh, I, I see how a lesser storyteller would do exactly what you're suggesting exactly. and make a twist yep. of like, oh, they were all in on it together. This whole thing was a setup. And I think it makes for a much more compelling narrative to have his friends being like, where the fuck is he? Uh, we need to like follow up on this. Um, another movie yeah. I just saw of that did that vaguely also did it also very well. Uh, Get Out. With the, yeah. with the best friend, the TSA agent, who was, like, one of the mm-hmm. highlights of the movie. Like, yeah. it's good to have, like, some of that, like... Look, just any conflict doesn't have to mean that everyone has to end up in a fight at the end. It just means yeah, and it, it the characters... Yeah, and tied directly to the plot. It just deepens the... Who yeah. these people are. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, and I, I thought... Like the characterization in this movie all around was really good. Like I, um, I don't know. Like I, I kind of even like the, um, you know, the two young women who I, I guess they they show up in yoga hosers um, later. Um, like they, even though we barely see them in this movie, like you kind of 
know who they are. That's you know? uh, Kevin Smith's daughter and Johnny Depp's daughter. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, I, um, but I mean, like, their characters are very, yeah. like, you know, like, you kind of get, you, you get them, you know, just by the way they're... According they to the off. according to the commentary that Kevin Smith did, that the script went through a lot of heavy re- rewrites while shooting, so not mm-hmm. like pre-production, but while shooting, and that a lot of the actors were given opportunities to essentially rewrite their characters. And he has lots of specific examples through the commentary. I don't recall him anything mentioning specifically about his daughter and Depp's daughter during their scene, but like another one was. Um, uh, the dinner scene between the main villain and the main character, yeah. and he does like that itsy bitsy spider routine. That was all come came up with by uh, Michael Michael Hart. Michael Parks. I'm sorry, Michael Parks. Michael Parks. That mm-hmm. he came up with all that, and in the original script, um, it had him standing up from his chair and running across the room to hit the main character. And it was his idea of like, no, it will be more impactful if I stand up and calmly walk across oh, the yeah. room from the wheelchair. And I agree with that acting decision completely. It's That's, more deliberate. It's, it's and... so much more intimidating. Being And it's yeah. also just being like, oh, I've been – it's very casual of, oh, I've been fucking lying to you this whole time. And you didn't know it. Like, I'm in control. So, I think some of the acting decisions that are allowed work really well in the movie, but uh, they, they hold the camera too long on Johnny Depp in this. Yeah, I, I got the feeling they wanted to create a character that was like a, um, and, you know, uh, again, I think I, I don't know if this character, I, I haven't seen Yoga Hosers, so I don't know if, if, if he shows up again in that movie, but I feel, but I know that I, I got the impression. Yes, yes. Johnny to... Depp does show up okay. in y- Yoga Hosers, and I believe uh, Moose Jaws, which we'll get into later, also intends yeah. to have Johnny Depp in it. Yeah. Which, from fun, what I... f- fun fact: Kevin Smith's first choice for that character was Quentin Tarantino, and which oh. I, I actually kind of wish he got Quentin Tarantino instead. That would have been really cool. I mean, just the two like. Yeah. I don't know, like the two like icons of '90s independent cinema, like. I know. Together. Would that have been awesome? So exciting. Um, yeah, like I feel like they were trying to create like a like a kind of a recurring detective character, you know. Um, and and that's fine. I was I was fine with that. But uh, I I know what you're saying. Like I think the um... I think he's really entertaining once they actually are like doing the investigating. And right. there's like the whole right. like, the, like the whole gun scene when he pulls out like the the gun thing and like what kind of Americans don't want guns like like yes. like yes. that whole scene like he's really good when there's things actually happening but when he's just monologuing I'm like it's I don't know I don't know why I'm watching this like I don't really yeah. feel like I'm getting anything from this like I, can we go back to the guy getting tortured and turning into a walrus please yeah. Um... Speaking of which, so that's all. I'm assuming that's all practical effects. It's I mean, all 100 yeah. percent um, practical effect, effects done by um, Robert uh, Kurtzum, who originally uh, Kevin Smith had reached out to Greg Nicotero to hmm. do this movie, and uh, Greg Nicotero was unfortunately uh, busy tied up with The Walking Dead. Right? Exactly, it was Walking Dead. Yeah. Why he couldn't do it? So he recommended Robert. 
Kurtzman, who does that same name sound familiar to you? He is also from K&B, correct? Uh, that is correct. Uh, but he also um, directed Wishmaster. That's right. That's he, right. And he wrote From Dust Till Dawn. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah I knew... I knew K and B did the effects on that movie, but I. I didn't but know uh, weird crossover. He did. Uh, he actually wrote from Dust Till Dawn. That's he also cool. did work. Did effects on Night of the Creeps, Evil Dead Two, Phantasm Two. I'm just gonna pick some highlights here because this list is yeah. crazy. Jason um, goes to hell as well, right? Uh, yeah, Bride of Reanimator, um, Misery, Army of Darkness. Um, pulp, pulp Fiction, In the Mouth of Madness, Lord of Illusions, Scream, The Night Flyer, Men in Black, Spawn. Um, also, Wishmaster, he did the effects on his own movie. Yeah, um, which is great. I don't, and, I don't uh, really think Stan Winston did the effects on, uh, on, on, on his own movie, Pumpkinhead. I think he uh, just directed it. But... Oh, did he not do them? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he had some input because you know because it's Stan Winston. Stan Winston, but like, yeah, and, I don't and think he's also continue on here. Uh, uh, the Jack Ketchum movie, The Woman, uh, and the Great David Wong movie. John dies at the end. Um, nice. Like, like it just oh, keeps. Hold on, yeah. uh, D- David Wong wrote that, but uh, Don Coscarelli directed it. Yes, and yes, has some fame. Yeah, and uh, uh, the Gerald's Game. Uh, was oh, it uh, Netflix? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Was it Netflix, Netflix who put that out? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The great degloving scene. So uh, this guy has like real fucking credentials. And it was awesome that Kevin Smith <laughs> says the story of he's asking like, so what do you want this walrus to costume to look like? And Kevin Smith told him, think a walrus, but if done by the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And apparently Robert Kurtzman told him, I gotcha. And then a couple of days later, sent over sketches, which are virtually identical to what the final product ended up looking like. And it's a, and, um, a walrus as by the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is exactly the perfect description oh, for that even, costume. There's, there's faces. A, a leather face. Pat, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's faces. The, like, yeah, yeah. There's faces yeah. in it. It's the skin yeah. of the people that he's been oh. capturing. Yeah. Isn't Man. that fucking cool? It is, it is, and it is just okay. A and I feel to behold, man. I feel we need to address what is actually physically being done to the character because a lot of people reading online don't seem to understand what is actually physically being done to him. So his body is being, his limbs are being sewn together and restricted and surgically altered so he can only move with like his feet together and his arms at his side like biceps at his side and his arms out like flippers it's all it's all being assembled like that and then on top of his body he's being fit into this suit which is the walrus suit the walrus suit is not physically his body his body is inside that and then they're doing surgical work on his face to put the tusk in through the suit that's going over top of it. I've seen a lot of people online confused over like, well, how do they make him so fat? It's like, they didn't make him fat. That's why he's floating every time he gets into the water. He's in a big l- balloon and panicking. Like, right. he's he. it's a suit over top of his surgically destroyed body. That's what's been done to him. 
Yeah, yeah. The way the the villain describes it is like you know to to have him fit in the suit, he had to make some alterations. I believe. Yes, and that's talking about like how he's having like his body so he can only move in that fashion. But a lot of people I saw online complain about the movie got very confused over what the villain was actually physically doing to the main character. Mm. Now, in all fairness, they do not outline explicitly, but if you pay attention to the dialogue and what they're doing and how everything's physically moving, I thought it became pretty clear that this guy has had his body all fractured and destroyed, and he's been physically placed inside a suit. Yeah. It was, yeah, it wasn't like it was like some gene splicing thing or something like that, you know? Or, Um, Or like like crazy, crazy surgery that made him like the size of a walrus. Like, no, that's not what they're right. doing. That's not what they're doing to him. Though, fun little detail, which I either forgot about or I didn't catch till this time. Did you catch what the tusks are made of for the victims? The femur bones. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. I, had, I think yeah. I had forgotten about that. And I was like, oh, that's a nice little touch. It is, it is. Um, man. Just the the design of that and, like, the way it looks and, like, Justin Long's facial expressions is just, like, really unsettling. Justin Long is phenomenal in the movie of portraying the horror and grief that's going into what's been been done to him. Like, he's actually, like, really good acting through that absurd, grotesque costume. Mm -hmm. And and because. Yeah, I was going to say, because, like, no matter how absurd the concept is on paper, like, the idea of this actually happening to somebody is fucking frightening. And that's what I love about this movie, is I felt Smith actually took it, quote-unquote, serious over, like, this is so insane and absurd, but went to be, like, the worst thing ever. And, like, that that first scene where he gets pulled into the water and starts Mm -hmm. to drown, and he sees the other corpse of somebody that's gone through this in the water. Yep. Oh, oh, that's so good. It's, yeah, it's fucking, oh, dude. (laughs) I can't believe I slept on this movie. Like, I just... (laughs) Oh, man. Um, So, 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 more about the movie itself, um... What'd you think of the ending? What'd you think of where oh, we go through this crazy perfect. journey and where do we end up in all of this? Well, so, um, he, uh, so he ends up having a, a, a walrus fight with, uh, Michael Parks who ends up putting on his own walrus suit, suit but it's yeah. a bigger suit, which it's a bigger suit. There's, there's going to be a fun thing I'm going to get to later about that, but I want to highlight that right now. But there's going to be a fun, okay. there's going to be a ridiculous inspiration for it that we're going to get to later. But I need to highlight yeah. he puts on a bigger walrus bigger suit. suit. Yeah, so he so he ends up killing the guy as uh, as his girlfriend and his and uh, his co-host uh, come in to rescue him and uh, uh, and Johnny Depp as well. Um, and then like. Uh, yeah, we. I guess we flash forward a little bit, and he's one year later. We get the, the, one the, year later. So, so uh, main character in the walrus suit successfully kills his captor. He gores him with his tusks and has a yep. like a victory primal roar. And Johnny mm-hmm. Depp's character bursts in with that chrome shotgun. Which man, as someone that likes guns, that's a sweet fucking shotgun that he has. Oh, like, yeah. He pulls oh, yeah. out. I'm like, ooh, I'd I'd like one of those, please. He has his chrome <laughs> shotgun, 
and he aims, but we never, and it goes black, and we never hear the fire, we never hear a click, and then it goes one year later. Yeah, yeah, and, um, and he's living in a zoo. Uh, yes. And... <laughs> yes, he's living in a zoo. And his, uh, his, his, I, I guess now ex-girlfriend yeah. and, uh, and ex-co-host, uh, they, 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 they come to visit him. We get the impression that this is a thing that happens fairly often. That's what I got and, as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, they, they throw him a fish and, uh. <laughs> oh, that is so bleak. And he cries. Yes. <laughs> And that's the end of the movie. It's like, oh, cut the credits. And it's like, oh, that is so bleak. That is so bleak. Dude. <laughs> blew my mind. Like, absolutely blew my mind. Like, it. Same guy that gave us Mall Rats did this. You, but, you know, you, you see, you still see, like, shreds of, of that in this movie. You know, like the way the way relationships are written, like he still writes relationships the same. You know, uh, he still writes very typical types of very specific types of dudes um, very well. And, uh, and, and there's some like really great dialogue back and forth. Great uh, dialogue th- throughout the movie. There's like some legitimately funny, naturally one liners. Mm-hmm. Um, um, the uh, now the the regional aspect of it like it is very canadian um yeah. even though i don't think they've ever done any canadian films the uh for some reason the the uh the attention to like detail in that respect actually reminded me of uh of coen brothers movies um like there's a very strong sense of place uh, uh kevin smith himself has actually just his whole life been naturally fascinated with canada and where that comes from is ever since he was very young he was a big fan of um uh degrassi is that the name of the tv show it's this really oh, long yeah. running canadian teen soap opera called like degrassi high or Degrassi mm. or something, mm-hmm. or maybe different versions of it are called something different. Kevin Smith is, in fact, uh, guest starred on some episodes. He directed several episodes where Jay, oh, and Bo- Jay and Silent Bob show up at Degrassi High for a couple oh, episodes. Awesome. Um, I've never seen it. I don't really care to watch a teen soap opera, but it's like Kevin Smith's like guilty pleasure. And, in fact, like um, Justin Long's character says to the... Uh, the two convenience store clerks, um, when they're getting uh, like snotty oh, with him, right. he says, "So how's Degrassi going?" And yeah, and yeah, so yeah. I was like, wondering what that was. That's it's a it's reference, a reference to. to the TV yeah. show, and like Kevin Smith is just legitimately like really fascinated by Canada and really into Canada. He's also a He's hockey also, fan. Yeah, I was just like, about to bring that up, which yeah. is a huge hockey fan, and hockey's way more popular in Canada than it is in the States. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, and so Tusk, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to this, like, Tusk was the first part of what's planned to be a three-part Canadian uh, exploitation monster movie trilogy that he's calling his True North trilogy. With cool. um, Tusk being the first, uh, Yoga Hosers being the second, and Moose Jaws being the third. We are going to talk about Moose Jaws. We cannot do the show and not talk about Moose Jaws. But we will get to Moose Jaws. But yeah, awesome. so this is like the first. And 
like the uh, the like this is a weird attention to detail that um, fast food restaurant they are eating in is not a real fast. I only noticed from the commentary that Kevin Smith did is not a real fast food restaurant, and in this fake universe, so in. Um, the Kevin Smith movies in the Kevin Smith movie universe. If you eat at a fast food restaurant in the United States, you're eating at what's it? Moogies? Is that what it was called? Uh, um, movies. Movies. That's yeah. it. Movies. Um, and that's what every Kevin Smith movie. If you see a character go uh, fast food restaurant, it's this fictional golden calf restaurant. Which yes, you, know, you yes. see the little. That's clever. Yeah, it's a, it's a very fun thing. So, because this is Canada, and they'd have different fast food up there, I couldn't tell you what it's called. Uh, I didn't write it down, unfortunately, but I did write down the fun historical note that the fast food restaurant is named after Canada's version of the Wright Brothers. So, it was the first Canadians that successfully built their own airplane and successfully flew it and landed it, and... They, he, Kevin Smith came up with a fast food restaurant themed around them. And so it makes no sense to us. It's never called attention to in the movie. But in the commentary, Kevin Smith is pointing out that all the pictures on the walls are all these real life people who developed <laughs> airplanes in Canada. And like it's all references to... Because it's like the sky blue combo is the, is the order that... Johnny Depp gets, oh, you know, yeah. sky blue as in the sky. Uh, like, yep. What weird attention to detail to put into it. I love but, that. But that's gr- that. that's a gr- that shows the signs of a great filmmaker right there. When I completely, you, agree. You, they they just put so much too much work into something that doesn't matter. But I've always been the opinion that even if you as the audience member doesn't isn't aware of all the references being made. You get it, it subconsciously. Bleed, it bleeds through. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah, bleeds it through. Ad, it's just, it adds texture. Yes, exactly. It adds texture to the universe and the world. Even if you never conscientiously think about what is this place? What are these people referencing? It just fits right. together and helps create a more coherent world. And so, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Like, like Kevin Smith just like fucking digs Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What's your favorite thing about Canada, Lucas? Brett the Hitman Heart. Okay, I was now I was gonna say uh, the Planet Smashers, during okay, Canadian okay. ska band. All right, so th- this actually totally this, tracks on with brand. our show. I mean, you, 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 wrestler. you bring up ska, I bring up wrestling. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I I want to highlight something here. Just a quick offhand note: uh, that Nazi party did not mm-hmm. age well. It's a tough call, right? Because, like, the main character is kind of supposed to be this edgelord type. But, like, mm, I don't even know if, like, somebody with a show that has that name would would be allowed to have that show now, you know? <laughs> like, and, and, you know, because it's just so sensitive. Like, it just would not work. It's weird to think that 2014 was, you know, eight years ago, and uh, it was only eight years ago, and uh, and uh, we didn't have uh, we didn't have actual Nazis in the streets. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And I'm um, I'm saying this in the perspective of somebody in Portland, Oregon, has regularly had like Nazi rallies, white ring, white supremacist yeah. rallies in the streets that started happening two years after this movie came out. So I'm, in, in fact, the first big one that happened in Portland literally happened about, oh, four blocks down from the house I was living in at the time, and I and I was Jesus. out there counter-protesting. Um, and so 
uh, I might be on the yeah. sensitive angle for it, but it's definitely a joke that at this time this came out, I wouldn't have thought anything of it. But now right. I'm like, if you're going to make a Nazi joke, I need you to have some oomph to it. Like, the joke yeah. can't yeah, just yeah. be, look, we're saying Nazi. That's not good enough. Yeah. You need to have yeah. a subtext. You need to do something clever with it. Where, in all fairness, as you said, it is also character development in the movie because they are trying to present these people as exploitive edgelords that right. are willing to take advantage of of anything just for likes, clicks, and listens. That We kind of skipped over it. We only briefly mentioned it. The whole reason the main character is in Canada is to see the Kill Bill kid, who, which is a playoff of the real world Star Wars kid uh, playing around with like a lightsaber in the garage, mm-hmm. but this kid manages to cut his own leg off. And yeah. everyone's mocking him, and they go up there to interview the kid, and the kid's committed suicide because of the internet mockery. Which, I would say that, that's a little bit getting, like, a, a little bit ahead of the curve. That I would say There so. is people talking about before this, um, we're pulling out the great book, which I know I've mentioned on this show, So You've Been Publicly Shamed, by um, mm-hmm. Ryan Holiday. I'm sorry, Ryan Holiday did uh, Trust Me, I'm Lying. So, so You've Been Publicly Shamed was uh, written by, um, oh, John Ronson, not sorry, John Ronson. And right. the, that book came out before this. It came out... Oh, no. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. It came out one year after. One year after 2015. Wow. I have my time frame mm-hmm. very screwed up there. So this was at the beginning of people starting to essentially call a little bit of alarm of what we're now calling cancel culture or something like that. Yeah. Essentially point out, like, the, un- the internet allows unhealthy mob mentality. And mm-hmm. that's something that's been like a lot of discussion, even in our mainstream political sphere, with having our leaders in the United States having debates about this in mainstream spheres about this online uh, mom mentality. And here's Kevin Smith just making a quick little throwaway joke about it at the beginning yeah. of this movie when people were just beginning to formalize a way of talking about what was happening. Yeah, and, and like, sort of on the same subject, but, like, only tangentially, um, I feel like this movie might be the earliest example that I've heard of somebody using um, the word cringe in the way that we use it today. Oh, shit! Wow, wow. Um, yeah, you know what? You might be right on that because I noticed that used in the movie, but I didn't really think. Of, I was like, I about, don't remember that being a thing in 2014. Like that, and, and they use it in the exact context that we use yeah. now. Uh, yeah. And uh, do you? Wow. Who who says it in what context? Was so it the of, girlfriend says specifically says like that cringe oh. comedy thing is just no good or something. Oh, she doesn't say no, no good. Oh, she no, says no, something no. way more clever than that. Yeah, no, no. You're right, but I know exactly what you're talking about and I can explain why she used that term in the way she, she did, which she did mention cringe comedy and then use cringe in the modern context. Cringe comedy was already being used in relation to TV shows like The Office. Gotcha. And so, gotcha. the term... Where you're just uncomfortable. Yes. And yeah, so, yeah. 
And so that's the context that she was using it in. However, then the way that she phrased it, or shall I say, um, Kevin Smith's writing phrased it, or maybe it was the actress who rewrote that line, because Kevin Smith says a mm-hmm. lot of the lines are rewritten by the actors involved in the uh, in the movie. Um, it does turn into our modern connotation of the term. It does, which it does. which is re- which which is interesting because it's actually the transition of that term in one scene right there. Just so we're giving credit where credit is due, the actress's name is Genesis Rodriguez. Oh, Gen- I keep yeah. wanting to call her Jennifer because I-, I keep having a hard time accepting Genesis is a name, but that's a pretty cool sure. name. Genesis Rodriguez is a badass name. It is um, right. Yeah, that's a crazy cool name. But guess what two episodes of what TV show she was in? Law and Order SVU. Yes, she was. It's the only Law and Order SVU connection I could find from Tusk. I'm like, there has to be one. And it, but unfortunately, it was, Tusk is it was, not a trauma movie. It was Genesis Rodriguez. Wait, wait. We will come back to this later. I found the trauma connection. We'll get to it. Oh, shit. Okay. Uh, but but she was in two episodes of Law & Order SVU. So, man, it's been a long time on this show since I found an SVU connection. It but has. It has. I found one. I found one. I, I was seriously like, Tusk has to have one. Like, this is in mainstream, like, Hollywood, um, like... Like like all 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 the actors and crew guilds. I'm like, man, this gotta be somebody that worked on an SVU episode. Boom! One of the one of the stars of the movie was in two episodes of SVU. So I was saving that for later, but I just broke that out now. And if, if if we have listeners that haven't listened up to all of our episodes, go back to our like first twenty. And I was really <laughs> getting a uh, a conspiracy thesis going on Law and Order SVU that's kind of fallen apart since then. But I brought it back. We're, we're back on track. We're back on back track. on track. Um, oh, but but she she's really great in this. I think all the actors are really great in this movie, including mm-hmm. Johnny Depp. I know. I think Johnny. Like he gets shit on in this movie, and I see why. The issue isn't isn't his acting; it's no. Kevin Smith's writing, and sorry, it's Kevin Smith's directing and editing, and that those scenes needed to be trimmed. Shorter. Yeah. Um, from what I understand, uh, Kevin Smith and Depp's daughters are best friends, and that's how the two of them met each other. So gotcha. it was like the dads of their daughters. <laughs> Like best friends having fun together. Johnny Depp did it uncredited, which I believe um, he did. The main reason for it is I don't think he got paid for it, or if he got paid, it was just like a token amount. Right. In which there's Screen Actors Guild rules that you can't do that right. sort of stuff, which we talked right. about before in previous episodes of the show. So I think that was Depp dodging the minimum payment requirements to be in the movie so he could do this favor for his daughter's best friend's father and that cool. his daughter and her best friend could be in a movie together. Nice. Nice. What else? What oh. else you got about the movie itself? Oh yeah, let's focus on like like some of the more of the actors in this movie here before we get around the truly interesting behind the scenes productions of this. Um I um actually the only other one I have I got two, actually I have two. I have two to point out. So we got um, the uh, airport security guard when they pull in. When, when, when the main character first gets to Canada 
and he's going through customs. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the Canadoos and Canadotes. Yes, Canadoos yeah. and Canadotes. That's Harley Mornstein, um, most famously known from the YouTube channel um, or YouTube series Epic Meal Time. Oh, yeah. I've you, heard of that. You never watch Epic Meal Time? I've never watched it. But oh I've my god, Epic, Epic Meal Time's awesome, dude! You're like uh, twelve years too late to an internet meme here, but um, it, it's it was a, a YouTube channel that's kind of fallen apart in recent years, and there's all sorts of shit about it. But uh, Haley Mornstein is like one of the original people behind the channel, and that they would just essentially cook the most epic outrageous meals and we're talking yeah. l- like uh like, like how can you make a one million calorie pizza <laughs> and so like, like it wasn't just weights of food but it was also calorie and fat content it was like how can you make the most absurd gigantic unhealthy portions of food just like google happy meal time i'm sorry epic meal time and look at the pictures of Mm -hmm. some of the food you'll see and it's it's atrocious but it's a really entertaining youtube show um uh haley's i have have actually watched this it's just so so long ago and Kevin Smith is actually legitimately just a fan of the YouTube show, and he contacted the guy of like, "Yo, you want to be in my movie?" Yeah, and you want to be in a Kevin Smith movie? Yes, like, yeah. <laughs> Which Kevin Smith was so impressed with his acting in that. The script for Moose Jaws, which we will get to, is being written around him with him as the main character. Oh, cool! That's awesome. Which, yeah, that. yeah, the can of do's and can of don'ts. Like, that's such a great scene. <laughs> that, that's such a funny, funny... And also explaining what a podcast is. Yes, yes, I as, love that. As people involved with podcasting, oh, it's still not mainstream. So many yeah. people have no idea. I'll be like, yeah, I have a podcast with a friend about, about like, exploitation movies. What's a podcast? Yeah, no, I, I you got to send them, like, direct links, because otherwise they're like... Yeah, just yeah, look me it, up. Yeah. It doesn't work. There's like, nope. podcast? What? It's an Let's... internet radio show. Yeah. How do I listen Never. to it? Uh, on, on, the, on, on the internet. On the internet. Yeah. <laughs> the same place you go to do everything else, man. Like, come on. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, so I thought that was, like, super fucking cool that... I would say that that's like a cool thing about Kevin Smith that he's a fan of this guy's YouTube channel. So he's like, I want to contact him about being in my movie, like being a bit part in my movie. And I already said about like, it's the cool thing. Like, I like to think like if I had that amount of money that Kevin Smith does now, and like, all right, I'm going to make a project that I don't give a fuck about, fuck about. I would like to hire, like, all the people I like, all the people I think are cool, and, like, oh, other people may not have heard of them, but I think they're cool, and I want them to be yeah. involved in my movie. I feel like that that totally tracks, especially, like, with, like, in the indie worlds, and then, you know, not that Kevin Smith is, like, truly independent these days, but, like, I don't know. Like, he's still got that spirit where he's just, like, I just like these people, so I'm going to put them in my movie, um, which is cool, you know? And, and so then the uh, last person I want to address that worked on makeup effects, in fact, he did specifically only the makeup effects for Johnny Depp during this movie. 
because Johnny Depp's nose mm. is not that big in real life as it is in this movie. So yeah. there was one guy hired to do makeup effects for Johnny Depp. His name is Joel Harlow, who has worked on many major um, movies like the new Star Trek movies, the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, Marvel movies, the Godzilla movies, um, all like big, big names. So let's go scroll back here to the very beginning of his career. His first credit, 1987, Killing Spree. Not sure what that is. However, his second credit, 1989, The Toxic Avenger, Part 2. Oh, oh. and what's this we have for his third credit? Ni- and also 1989, Toxic Avenger, Part 3. Boom! Trauma connection! That's incredible. We the did guy, The guy that did Johnny Depp's nose prosthetics in this movie had to start with the Toxic Avenger sequels. That's incredible. That's like, I found Law and Order SVU. I found Toxic Avenger connections. It all comes back around. Oh man, we are we are getting our second season off to a great start. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why guys. We didn't take a, a break. Well, to the listeners, we may have took a break there, but we yeah. didn't really take a break in reality for what it was for us. <laughs> yeah, no, we never stop. We are here every week, and uh, yeah. Except when we're not, but that's okay. <laughs> Except for when we're not. You just completely ruined that there. But I regardless, know. I found I the connections know. to Law and Order SVU, and I found straight-up trauma connections, which makes it so perfect. The guy that gave Johnny Depp the big nose in this movie got his start working on the Toxic Avenger films, which I do recall that there is a prank in one of those Toxic Avenger sequels of somebody's nose being pressed and it coming out really large, fish-shaped. Yeah. That sounds right. I think it's in the second one. Yeah. Like, yeah. So I wonder if this is the same guy. It could be. Maybe he's just like the the, the nose guy. He's just a nose guy. Like that's oh. what his effects are. He also did uh, Dracula's armor in Bram Stoker's Dracula. Oh shit. That's, yeah. That's a big fucking deal. That armor. That armor is iconic. It is. And it he is. made that armor in that movie. Yeah, that is so, so fucking cool. cool. He also did worked on a shit ton of episodes of Carnival, which is a great TV show, my, yeah. made by Daniel Knopf, who please say is a friend of mine. Weirdly enough, he likes the work I do. Um, yeah, and like I said, he worked on a lot of Marvel stuff, Star Trek stuff, but I just had to highlight him of that trauma connection. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. So is there anything else you want to address about the movie itself before we go on to be a bit more free reeling here about the behind the scenes uh no yeah let's let's dive into some of this behind the scenes stuff i'm specifically uh curious about um i don't know how this whole thing expands right because you've got it, it is the first of a trilogy so so before we get to this first of the trilogy i feel we need to take a moment to look at kevin smith's career uh, where he was when this movie was about to come out so he had had his like classic run of movies, which is Clerks through Jay and, Bo- Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. the View Askew Universe. That's yeah. for anyone that's not aware, that's a term. View Askew is the name of Kevin Smith's uh, production company, and it's also... To this day. To this day. Um, and it's also a term he uses for like how we have like the 
Marvel Cinematic Universe and the Troma Cinematic Universe, there is the View Askew Universe for all the movies taking place in the same world. So after Jay and Silent Bob strike back, um, uh, Kevin Smith, I almost called him Silent Bob, <laughs> Kevin Smith <laughs> wanted to um, try to get a bit more mainstream where he did the uh, very famous flop Jersey Girl starring um, Ben Affleck and Liv Taylor and uh, the, the, J-Lo, right? Wait, Jersey Girl? Yeah, J-Lo's in that, isn't she? No, you're confusing that with a different movie. Um, Jersey Girl is about uh, the guy oh, yeah, that... Liv, Ty- Liv Tyler's in it. Wasn't J-Lo supposed to be in it? Oh, she's in it, but she's in a very small part. I think the main one you're thinking of is Geely. Uh, or... No, I, I know I know what you're talking about, but no, no, I'm looking here. It's like, yeah, Liv Tyler is the female lead, but like yeah. Jennifer yes. Lopez is also in the in the movie. Is she? And, oh, yeah, yeah okay, apparently. Yeah, she, yeah. Like I said, I've never seen the movie. I'm just looking at the, the descriptions online. Gotcha. Um, but... It's it was supposed to be some sort of family comedy drama thing. I don't know. It bombed. It looks awful. It's about like Ben Affleck playing with some prepubescent girl and doing. I have no interest in this fucking movie. <laughs> and anyone that has an interest in Kevin Smith didn't want to see this fucking movie. And anyone that does have an interest in a movie like that isn't interested when they see Kevin Smith's name attached to it. Like <laughs> so. He then had to kind of come crawling back with his tail between his legs and go back to what he was successful with and made Clerks 2 and Zack and Mary make a porno. Both, I would think, are very solid comedy films. I like Clerks 2 a lot. I, I like Oh, a fun fact. Oh, I've never had the opportunity to talk about this publicly. So in Clerks 2, there's a very famous scene where one of the characters used the term porch monkey. And the other character is having to explain to them why this is a racist term. Do you, yeah. do you remember that very famous scene? I, I, I do. I do remember it. Many years before Clerks 2 came out, I had that exact same conversation with a friend of mine. Oh, shit. Down to a T of like, but that's what my grandmother would call all of us when we are out on the porch. We're all little monkeys. It's like, no, no, that's not what that means. That's not what she was saying. I had that exact same conversation in real life and then when clerks 2 came out when i first saw it i was like it blew my mind because like i've i've had this argument in real life which almost guarantees guarantees me makes me think that kevin smith had that argument with somebody in real life that somebody else used that term and meant that as like a cute kid thing and being like he's like wearing the the shirt and it's like the the black police officer sees yes. he's like what the hell and he's just yes. like I'm t- it's okay. I'm taking it back. Like, yes. Oh my god. I know. I know. Oh, oh. Uh, that scene, that whole scene, just made the movie for me. Like just because I've had that interaction yeah. in real life, and be like, uh-huh. no, that's not a racist term. I'm like, yes, yes, it is. Uh, and then Zach and Miri make a porno. I think it's kind of like a really underrated, like little comedy film. Like it's a really sweet romantic. Really perverted romantic comedy. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I um, I don't think I've ever actually seen that one. I think that might have been one of his that I missed. Man, if you dig, um, if you dig like a nice little romantic comedy, 
and I definitely recommend Zach Mary make a porno. I don't, um, Lucas and I have talked about this. I don't know if it's come up on the show at all, but I have a very big soft spot for romantic comedies. I and, do as well. I and do as well. It's a nice little one. And then Kevin Smith, then, then after that, he did Cop Out, which was the disastrous Bruce film. Willis Bruce and Willis. Tracy Morgan. Which Kevin Smith hated every second working on the movie. Never seen it. Apparently, Bruce Willis was just a fucking asshole the entire time. <laughs> And it ruined, and this was, um, so we see here with, with Jersey Girl, Clerks 2, Zach and Mary make a porno, and Comp Out, he's trying to get back more into the mainstream. Yeah. That Clerks 2 is his going back to his old universe for a cash-in, Jersey Girl, Zach and Mary make a porno, and Comp Out are all films that aesthetically and their casting choices are all aimed mm-hmm. at major Hollywood audiences and these all do fucking awful. And that leads to Kevin Smith doing two things. One, saying fuck it to the Hollywood system mm-hmm. and just being like, I started outside of it. I tried to build my way up in it and it's going awful. I'm going to go back to being outside of it. And two, and this is 100% true, Kevin Smith starts smoking weed. Oh, wow. He didn't smoke weed until he met um, Seth Rogen on set of Zach and Mary make a porno. Yeah, everyone thinks that he's always been a stoner. Always been a stoner. That's not true. That's not true. Now, it's not saying he smoked weed for the first time, but it was just something like once in a great while. Right. It was with his stress of dealing with the major... Hollywood film institutions that he started smoking weed regularly, which he also claims um, and now fans, critics have very diverse reactions over this. Uh, Is this a good or a bad thing? But he started smoking weed regularly, which he credits as changing his creative, um, his entire creative output in the way that he's makes movies in the way that he wants to be creative. And the first of those movies, with him smoking weed and saying fuck you to all the institutions in place, is Red State. Mm-hmm. Which, mm-hmm. would you ever guess that Red State is a product of somebody who just started smoking weed regularly? I would not. It's an intense fucking movie. Like It is. It is. But it is also, like... I mean, I think the way it ends... It, it takes very careful steps to remind you that you're watching a Kevin Smith movie at the end of it, where it's like in the court and there, it's very dialogue heavy. But yeah, the horror in that movie is definitely like, man, I mean, really, really heavy and really nasty. Um, we brought out the horror side of Kevin Smith. It did. It did. And it's like, I didn't know Kevin Smith was such secretly like a big horror fan and he talks about in the commentary that when he was growing up and making movies, he's not a successful director. He's a failed special effects creator. That his original two favorite filmmakers were David Cronenberg and David Lynch. And those were the types of movies he always wanted to make, but all he could afford and was capable of making was movies like Clerks, Clerks and Mallrats. Holy shit. Yeah! Isn't that interesting? Yeah. He also cites and Stuart Gordon as being a major influence on oh, his fuck. filmmaking. Yeah. I um, 
I see all of that in Tusk. In which he states, he states that Tusk is the first movie that really came out. So we haven't gotten to Tusk yet here. We, mm-hmm. we, we've mm-hmm. got to we've got to go through all the stuff before we Fuck, can get take to the Tusk. Journey. Let's take yes, the journey. There's a journey yeah. to Tusk. So we're at Red State, and at Red State, he has um, said "fuck you" to the Hollywood system, which he did a very very famous premiere of the movie. At, I would say um, infamous. Infamous at the Sundance Film Festival, where he said, "I'm going to premiere my new movie, Red State. It's my first horror movie." Which everyone's like, Kevin Smith's making a horror movie. And, he's like, and then I'm going to auction off the rights to it after its first screening. And after yeah. it screens, great reaction. He goes to auction it off and he sells it to himself. Is, am I remembering that correctly? That sounds about right. Yeah. Yes, yes, he sells it to himself that he's going to self distribute the film, which he did a roadshow screening of it where he would travel around and tickets would be like 20 or $30, but he would be at every screening of the movie and do Q&As after every screening of it, which I think is a really fucking cool thing for all that Hollywood clout and money to then say, fuck you, I know what all the rules are now. I don't have to play by what you want me to do, and I can just go out and make all my money directly. That's really cool. I think it's amazing. As you said, it's infamous. Like The Hollywood infrastructure was furious at him for using Sundance, which has now been completely co-opted by media conglomerates. And where it used to be a showing of independent films like, haha, Clerks, it's now Mm -hmm. just been like, like you'll have fucking Marvel movies screening at Sundance. Like, it's absurd. (laughs) And... So it's completely betrayed its purpose, and now have Kevin Smith go up there, one of the original Sundance darlings, and undermine the entire system, and the entire thing of you go here to buy, sell, and make deals, and that's never supposed to be the point of this, and do a major fuck you of like, I know there's so many reps in the room right now that their bosses told them, you got you got to come back here with me with the new Kevin Smith movie, and none of you are getting a shot at it. I'm selling yeah. it to myself, I'm saying fuck you to the entire system, and... I'm going on my own. It's hardcore, man. It's is, totally hardcore. That is artistic hardcore. Like, just think, like, he also could have Uncle just, Lloyd would be proud. I think so. I think so, because he also just could have had a uh, comfortable career, kept doing whatever studio assignments were passed his way, which is what Jersey Girl, Zach and Mary make a porno and cop out were all sending yeah. him down the road. And maybe once every five years, we'll get a sequel to... We'll get another the, Clerks movie or whatever, yeah, yeah. Something like that, just to throw a bone out. Um, and he directly, like, turned that all down. Now, it's worth noting that while those other movies were going on and Red State was happening, that the Smodcast was started. Right. The Smodcast, um, the Smodcast Network. Sorry, I had to... I had to search there for the word network for a moment. But the Smodcast <laughs> Network was started, which is Kevin Smith's podcast network of a whole right. bunch of different shows. Uh, did you ever listen to his podcast? Probably not as many episodes of you as you have, but... Uh, well, but yeah, I haven't listened to... I started off with Kevin Smith in the very beginning, 
which one of his first, if it wasn't his first, you ever listen to Fat Man on Batman? That sounds familiar, but... Oh my know. god, dude, there's a four-parter with Grant Morrison going over Grant oh, Morrison doing all the psychoanalytical analysis of Batman, and it's phenomenal. It sounds so, incredible. So what Fat Man on Batman is, which was one of Kevin Smith's early podcasts, was Kevin Smith, who Batman is his favorite character, having on actual Batman writers, creators, artists, giving their analysis of Batman. And it's phenomenal. It didn't last for very long. I think there's like 30, maybe 30 to 50 episodes of it. Every single one, if you're a Batman nerd, if you're a comic book nerd, I cannot recommend it enough. However, I need to specifically highlight all the Grant Morrison episodes yes. are some of the most enlightening conversation about a comic book superhero that you will ever hear in your fucking life. It is just, it is literally the quintessential Batman discussion. So, but Fat Man on Batman kind of expanded out to like a more general comic book media commentary and it all got shot in that foot under its original incarnation that there was a multi-part series that happened and i listened to this happen do you remember that fan for tisk fan for tisk movie the fantastic four movie that like everyone likes to forget happened done by the guy who did chronicle yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so there was lots of stuff coming out about how the movie was like completely reshot and like what we got in the theaters was like one third of the movie edited to be the entire movie. Kevin Smith had Josh Trank on his show to kind of defend the movie before it came out. And they did a three-parter about the build-up to the movie coming out with essentially the director being like, everyone getting all these critiques wrong, you have it all wrong, it's all wrong, it'll all make sense when the movie comes out, it'll all make sense if the movie comes out. Movie comes out. It was panned, and then it turns out that the that the uh, writer-director was having, like, a um, drug issues on set and locking himself oh, in his trailer for days, not directing the movie, and going... It's always been unclear on what drugs he was on, but if you ask me, it sounds like he got sucked down into heroin, but that's just oh. my pure conjecture. That's not based on anything. That's just based on my knowledge of people when they're having drug issues and what was being described with Josh Tank on set sounds like he had an issue with heroin to me and that was caused the movie to fall apart and Josh Trank never appeared back on to do that fourth party with Kevin Smith when the movie came out and all of his on set behaviors were made public and that kind of unfortunately killed Kevin Smith really trying to get trying to do podcasts, being to do communication with the larger creative community, and it's just turned his podcast network very insular. So he has, like, mm. all these different shows, and if you don't know who these people are going into them, it's impenetrable. The entry point is so high if you've not been following it. And so I only paid attention to the podcast when Kevin Smith was interviewing people that I thought were cool but he no, or I thought would be interesting to hear him interview and he no longer does that stuff now while he was doing that interview stuff on the side he was doing Smodcast which right. was just his weekly with his friends shoot the shit type of show which is now taken over his entire 
uh, podcast network. Is that's pretty much all the shows that they do. They do one with like the Comic Book Men, which also had their own AMC mm-hmm. TV show. It's the guys that run his comic book store in New Jersey. There's oh, a yeah. um, um, Hollywood Babylon, which is obsten- It's supposed to be about behind the scenes stuff about Hollywood, but whenever I listen to an episode of it, it's just the guys talking about what happened to him that week, and I can't make any sense of why I'm supposed to care. Um, when the host of Hollywood Babylon is in Tusk, he's uh, when um, the podcast co-host and the guy's girlfriend is talking to the Canadian police detective. That detective oh, yeah. is actually one of the hosts of the Hollywood Babylon podcast. So, so we're, don't worry, this is all getting to a point. So, on Smodcast, they did an episode. It was episode, I have in my notes here, episode 259, The Walrus and the Carpenter, mm-hmm. which with Scott uh, Moser, Moser, something like that. I'm sorry, Mo- Scott. I think it's Mosier. Mosier? Like, he, Mosier. He's, he's the main uh, co-host on Smodcast with, uh, with Kevin Smith. And it's about them reading a, essentially a... UK version of a Craigslist ad for a room to rent in a house, and it's free, but the stipulation to rent the room is that the owner of the house in question has a very authentic werewolf, I keep wanting to say werewolf this whole episode, walrus, a very authentic walrus costume, and that the and that the renter of the room would be required for two hours a day to wear the walrus costume around the house. And on this, they read this Craigslist ad, and they're immediately like, (laughs) Kevin Smith says the great thing, for anyone listening, copyright Kevin and Scott, this is a horror movie. And over the course of the podcast episode, they outline... In that episode, the, whole thing. the entire movie, including the end of the movie, of like him ending up in a zoo at the end. I think the, uh, like, at least a portion of it is in the end credits. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And, and they, they, they have clips in the end credits of the movie, from, but they do literally outline the entire movie in it. And they pitch what they want it to be is a combination of the human centipede and Iron Man. Remember how I wanted us to focus on pointing out that the villain in the movie, his costume is bigger? Yeah. It's specifically a reference to the first Iron Man movie, where the final battle is with Iron Monger, and the big difference between Iron Man and Iron Monger is that Iron Monger is physically bigger. That battle sequence is no joke, a shout-out to the first Iron Man movie, complete with some shots recreated. (laughs) Do you remember how he has his face showing through with the walrus mask around it? Just like fucking Iron Man looks like in all the MCU movies? Right, right. That's not an accident, that's on purpose. Oh my god. Tusk is Tusk is the human centipede meets Iron Man. I could totally see that. Also remember the first Iron Man movie? Tony Stark is held away for a large chunk of the movie being forced to work on uh, his suit. 
held captive. Yeah. There's a whole That's held right. captive thing going on. I mean, of course, also with Human Centipede. Yeah. I which, by the way, Kevin Smith's a Human Centipede fan, which I was like, good on you, dude. Of course he is. Of course he is. No, he loves he loves a lot of weird shit, man. Like, uh, he, I know he's like a, uh, he's a big fan of Rob Zombie's movies, um, which, you know, I love. Um, and, uh, and I even saw a little of that in, in Tusk, like just the tonal shifts reminded me of some something you would see in like well, House of a Thousand this, Corpses or something. This is very late to the party, but this is like taking part in like the torture porn aesthetic. Yeah. This is definitely. like a this is like a Kevin Smith torture porn movie. Oh yeah. Big time. That was what, like originally really excited me about this movie. I was like, holy shit, another torture porn movie. It's from Kevin Smith of all people? Holy shit, right? I didn't see that one coming. But it worked. Oh, very much. So what? how does A24 get involved okay, in this? So, so originally, um, Kevin Smith approached Bloomhouse about distributing the movie, which Bloomhouse okay. uh, turned him down. And the reason it was turned down by Bloomhouse is Kevin Smith actually wanted to move too fast on it. He oh, wanted wow. to have too short of a filming time and get it out in the theaters too quickly. That was actually the issue. That's interesting. So, so we're talking about like marketing timeframes here is what the issue is. And yeah. so um, A24 took it up. And I already referenced that um, one thing A24 did was A24 gave them additional money to buy the rights for the Fleetwood Mac song, Tusk. Which apparently catapulted the budget, which is at $2.8 million. <laughs> So I'm really curious how much they spent. It's small in movie terms. Yeah. Oh, it's tiny. So A24 enters, and this is actually um, one of the relatively early A24 distrib- distributed movies. That yeah, because when a- people would tell me that that Tusk was an A24 movie, like yeah. I, I, I kept thinking like A24 was around back then. Like <laughs> I don't know. Um, obviously they were, but for whatever Whiplash, reason. Whiplash, which won the Academy Awards, was an A24 movie from this mm. exact same time period. Okay. Alright. Now, like, A24, I do feel the need to point out that I need to, anytime it's brought up, because people dramatically misunderstand what A24 does. A24 does not make movies. Okay, yes, very recently, they have had some hands in some funding of production of movies, but for the vast entirety of A24's existence as a business, for every single movie that you listen to think of as an A24 movie, A24 did not make it. They They bought the rights to distribute it. They have really good tastes in distribution, or at least they have very specific tastes in distribution. I actually don't like a lot of what they do, especially now. I liked them better in their earlier days when they were a bit more free-willing and experimental, but they've really settled into this family drama masquerading as a horror movie (laughs) type of thing. But A24, this is back when A24 was being much more experimental, in in my opinions, and they, they were the ones willing to take on and distribute Tusk. And I also think it's really cool with A24 being willing to give 
uh, a platform to, like, this is kind of like a Hollywood darling that nobody wanted to fucking take on when he started doing his own shit. And yeah. he was being a little bit of a wild card at this time, considering about, like, what he did with his All red, red stick. Yes. Yeah. And the fact that they were willing to take the risk to put out there for Tusk, I'm like, good for you, A24. Uh, that's the type of risk-taking I like to see in businesses. So that gets us into, like, the release of the movie. Essentially, the movie flopped. <laughs> right, yeah. It, it was essentially a flop, for all intents and purposes. It was not, especially with Kevin Smith's name, like, it was a flop. However, though, he did continue with attempting to make his True North trilogy, which his follow-up movie was Yoga Housers. Or yoga hosers. 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 Yeah, yeah. Yoga hosers. I'm sorry. Um, Strange Brew. I, got, I need to get that right. Yes. Yoga hosers. Ho- ho- hoser. Wait. How do you say it? Hoser. Yoga hosers. Yeah. And the movie's not for me. And I mean that very literally. It's Kevin Smith making a movie for teenage girls starring his daughter and her daughter's best friend. And it's a monster gore film for teenage girls with the main villain being Hitler sausages who were played by Kevin Smith himself. Okay. <laughs> and I really respect the movie. I didn't really like it, but like I said, it's not for me. It is explicitly not for me. It'd be like yeah. me turning on the CW and complaining. Why aren't these shows, any of these shows appealing to me? It's like, because you're not a teenage girl. Like, that's not who this stuff is made for. And I think that's really cool that Kevin Smith made, like, a exploitation, monster, people in suits movie aimed at teenage girls. However, how successful was he at that? I don't know. Because I don't know anybody with a teenage girl. And I'm not a teenage girl. I'll tell you in uh, 14 years, I guess. Okay. <laughs> that's when you'll that's when you'll check that out with them, huh? I guess so. <laughs> but um, I, I respect artistically what he tried to do he's with ridiculously Yoga versatile. Yes. He's he's done and so I, many. And I also like to call back to like he's directed, written, and acted in Degrassi, which is the Canadian teen soap opera. So yoga hoser, yoga hosers isn't like outside of his framework of reference or his framework right. of what he naturally likes being entertained by. So I'm willing to believe that that movie is actually really successful. I just can't see it because I'm so not the person it's meant for. I totally get that. Um, now, what do we know about the third one, Moose Jaws? Not out yet. Obviously. Oh my god. Okay, Moose Jaws. So, so after Yoga Hosers, um, both Tusk and Yoga Hosers were met with extremely uh, divisive reactions and financial yeah. failures. And so, Yoga, um, Moose Jaws uh, was supposed to be the third one of the True North trilogy of doing these monster movies in Canada. And Moose Jaws was going to be set to star the guy from Epic Mealtime, the um, border agent that we see in Tusk. And it would be about essentially a remake of Jaws, 
but instead of taking place in the ocean, it takes place in the woods, and instead of a shark, a giant moose. <laughs> and that's all that's been announced about the movie, and all I can say is, I am 100% fucking down for that. Does yeah, That sounds, sounds amazing to me. Sounds wild. Completely wild. Does that sound wild? And I can see how that can all perfectly fit, like... Like, oh, like you, you have like yeah. your hunting truck. We're gonna need a bigger truck. Like, uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. like, oh my god! Like, I can immediately with that pitch. I'm like, I see how this all fits together. Oh yeah. Jaws, both a moose. Perfect. Fuck yeah! I mean, we've already seen this before. Grizzly, grizzly is we've seen, we've seen grizzly. is Jaws, both a grizzly bear. We've seen Jaws as a. Um... Uh, possessed lawnmower on a golf course. Yes. Blades. Yes. <laughs> uh, oh god, which, that was a rough. We, we we can do that movie one day because it's a trauma movie, or was a trauma movie at one. Oh point. yeah, th- uh, that's one of Carl Tomelik the Third's favorite trauma movies. It's a good one. Uh, that's one he really enjoys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but but yeah, so uh, and though unfortunately due to the failure of like like Kevin Smith trying to go out on his own has been a little bit rocky. So since then he's done the Jay and Silent Bob reboot and we can see him here having to go back into the beginning of his career to try to essentially appeal to that same old audience again. And yeah. Jay and Silent Reboot, have you seen it? I I did. Um I uh I actually liked it, man. I um I know that it wasn't intended to be this, and I and it obviously isn't going to be this because, like, I know he's got other stuff in the works. But it felt like I don't know. It felt like a swan song in a way. That was the kind of thing. As as someone, as anyone listening to this, like, I'm a huge Kevin Smith fan. He's an artistic creator. That even when he's doing things that's not appealing to me, I'm still paying attention to what he's doing. Just just following yeah. along, and it was really interesting to see him do a whole reflection of his career in that movie, which it was. There is a shout-out to every single movie, every single project, every animated thing, every little thing, every podcast, everything gets a shout-out in some way in that movie. And it's fascinating watching a filmmaker, um, I shouldn't even call him a filmmaker, an artist, uh, mm-hmm. pulling together all these different mediums, all these different aspects of his career into this one thing. However, he did the safest possible version of that that he could do, which upset me after Yoga Hosers, Tusk, Red State, that he was really showing that I'm like either he was willing he was willing to alienate people, he was willing to alienate his own fan base, he was willing to alienate all the indie people that stuck up for him over like he was willing to put it all on the line and burn it all to be artistically free and i felt like he kind of retreated a little bit over that i guess since i hadn't seen anything since red state before that it was like i don't know you, you're only missing one movie in there a yoga hosers but you won't go from yeah. red state to tusk to jay and silent bob reboot like it's a yeah. It's a harsh transition. Yes, there's Jay and Bob's super groovy cartoon movie, but I have a hard time counting that as one of his main projects. It's listed on right. his filmography. It's one of his movies. Yes, he wrote that. Okay, fine. It's Jay and Silent Bob, but like that was just a fun little side project he did. 
I don't consider that a part of his main over. Uh, did I say that right? Oh, I believe it's of what? Of what? I don't, I don't know. I'm not. Yeah, yeah. That. The, the the French <laughs> word meaning your catalog of creation or whatever. It doesn't fit yes. into his. I don't consider it part of his movie. So you have Red Ta- Red State Tusk Yoga Hosers and Jay and Silent Bob reboot, and then I yeah. see that um, he has two movies um, essentially finished or in post production. So these are coming out. These are these are coming out. He has Clerks Three, which I'm a little bit like. Eh. And yeah. he has something called, which I'm very intrigued about, called Kilroy Was Here, which is a horror anthology movie, which he filmed oh, right. during the COVID shutdowns, which I'm very intrigued about. Because this, be this sounds like like film do, him doing horror anthology, film doing the COVID shutdowns. We might start seeing a little bit more of that twisted Kevin Smith that we were getting out of these other movies I, I, oh, I want yeah. to see more of. And I was just looking up today in preparation for us recording of like, what's he talking about to f- the future? He still keeps saying Moose Jaws is going to happen. I'm worried about it because apparently what he's talking most about right now is a sequel to Mallrats that he's working on. I mean, in a way I get it because like we've got, we've got this 90s nostalgia you know, more or less happening, and and Mallrats is like a quintessential '90s movie. I mean, I saw Mallrats so young; it was my first time seeing boobs in the movie, and it was the three nipples. Yep, yep. I might have actually like seen it for the first time, like at a mall or like near a mall. Like it was like playing in this like area that people were like on a TV in this area. People were hanging out at. Oh man, no, I actually remember exactly the first time I saw Mallrats. I was hanging out with some friends playing Magic the Gathering at one of their houses, and we were like in late middle school. And one of my friends was like, Have you seen Mallrats? And all of us, the rest of us are like, No, never even heard of it. And he's like, Well, my older brother just showed me this movie. You've got, all got to see it. And puts nice. on Mallrats for us. And we had a great time. It was awesome. I have a very, I have a very positive, fond memory of us as. Uh, being slightly younger than we should have been watching that movie and us losing yeah. our minds. But, like, they're talking about Superman and the Incredible Hulk and Stan Lee's in it, yeah. and then there's Perfect. boobs, and they're putting fingers up the butts, and, like, <laughs> <laughs> like it, it appeals to all those, like, middle schooler things. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I take it we're, uh, we are we are giving Tusk a strong recommend. Oh, I, I'm not even done. I'm really not, not even at that done. point. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah, what else you got? Man, so this was interesting. Going through the special features on the uh, Tusk Blu-ray. Kevin Smith has a lot of uncomfortably, uncomfortably positive things to say about Bob Weinstein. Bob or Harvey? Bob. Okay, because Harvey is the... I know. I yeah. know. Okay, I just... But still... Okay. But still, though, there's no way Bob didn't know. And there wasn't, well, there's no way yeah. it wasn't some sort of complicit. And Kevin Smith yeah. has been tied into the Weinsteins his entire career. Yeah. And I feel like there's a need to point out that Red State is on the verge of turning into a lost movie because Harvey Weinstein owns the rights to oh, Red shit. State. And that's why you can't find right. Uh, Red State on any streaming service right now. That's why you can't find any imprint physical media edition of it right right now. Because oh, Harvey man. Weinstein owns the rights to it. There's other movies that he does. Um, 
man, if I was better, more professional, I'd be able to have a list of that, but I don't. I am only yeah, aware of Yeah, you've talked about this before, yes, though. Like that. that there's movies getting lost, modern movies getting lost due to the Weinsteins and due to yeah. this whole situation. But uh, Kevin Smith, on one of the uh, special features on the Blu-ray, uh, gave movie critique he got from Bob Weinstein. And it's uncomfortable listening to any of the Weinsteins for any critique or advice. However, I think this advice is really fucking great. And it's presented in a really interesting way. And I think this applies to any creative person out there. Which, Mm. now, I'm paraphrasing Kevin Smith paraphrasing Bob Weinstein. But this, the core of this still carries through and it all holds up. And it's that... The best movies don't begin and end with the movie. They start before the audience even gets into the theater. In which case, it starts with the, it getting into the audience's mind that they actually yeah. want to see the movie. And the real magicians, and this was a term that Kevin Smith used and that he claims that Bob Weinstein used. And he used the term, the real magicians keep the audience thinking about the movie after they see it and keep thinking about it for years to come. And that's that when making art, making entertainment, and if you think about it in a practical manner of like wanting this to be an actually productive thing that you can actually have at least a portion of your income coming from, that the first thing is you need people to get interested in seeing your art. And that's actually not that difficult. And you and I can attest to this, that, like, it's, like, we've both been involved in this for many years now, on independent levels, getting people interested to take a look at your art, yes, it takes some work, but that's not the hardest part, and I like that part at the end, it's the real magician can keep the audience thinking about the movie for years to come. That was the thing that really stuck with me, and that real magic is, like, after you get them in the door, after you get them to open the cover, after you get them to push play, after you get them to put their headphones, take a look at the picture, whatever medium you're working in, take their seat, and then to keep them thinking about it afterwards. Mm-hmm. That is so difficult. And that's what's going to get them to keep turning out again to see you. Because the last time they saw you, you just left them think like thinking about them for years to come. I've liked to have related a lot in the past when I've done, when I've taught workshops for people with coming up with uh, concepts and writing is that you have to think about your work like sex and that Mm. there's nothing wrong with masturbation. But when it comes to having sex, the goal is for you to get off and for your partner to get off, that for you both to have a good time. And so when you're approaching your creative works, that if you want to make something just for you, that's perfectly fine. But you're masturbating. And there's nothing wrong with masturbating. But if you want to be serious about your work, and you want to be serious about reaching an audience, even if it's for the um, purpose of like reaching an audience for financial benefit or reaching an audience just because you think I have something I need to say and I want 
I want to find my audience to say that to. You need to think about more in terms of sex, where you got to seduce. You got to get off. You got to get your partner off. Okay. Well, let's 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 uh, let's riff on that a little bit. How would you categorize a movie like Tusk in those terms? Like with those, um, when you think about it in those ah, terms. Kevin Smith summarizes it, I think, the best that he talks about in his commentary that of all of his non view askew movies, this is the only one of them he sure will not be forgotten. Because He's the audience right. reaction to it is so strong, both positive and negative, and essentially nothing in between, and that's what I see in relation to this movie, that this movie will live on forever as a weirdo cult classic movie. I see there a scenario of a hundred years from now of the View Askew movies being forgotten and Tusk still being watched. You know, what's interesting about that magician quote, you know, Bob didn't did not say leaves them thinking about the movie for years uh, to follow in a positive way. Just says thinking about. Yes, yes, exactly. It's just uh, to keep them engaged. It doesn't, like, if they like it or not, it doesn't matter. They got the fucking money. They're thinking from this from a purely capitalistic standpoint. And if you keep people thinking about it, and you keep people talking about it, you're going to keep getting investment on it. And I so see to this day, Kevin Smith takes a ton of pride in Tusk. And he knows it's the most divisive movie probably of his entire career. And it's because it's a I movie that... I also think it might be his most interesting um, it, it, it's my favorite movie of his career. It's my absolute favorite of his. I think it's the most... You know, like, I wish he would have kept going down this road because I see the transition from Red State to Tusk. And I see yeah. how Yoga Hosers also takes it on a little bit, but it, it veers off at an angle, and then he went back to doing his comedies. And I'm like, oh, man, you were, you were right on track to become... And, like, he still could be. Like He may come back with Moose Jaws. Right. Right. And there's this whole Kilroy was here, this horror anthology, which the fact that he's building it as a horror anthology has me super fucking intrigued. Yeah, I mean, him him doing horror is just exciting to me. I mean, it, it, you know, I mean, cause, because of Red State and now having and, finally watched Tusk. And um, people don't ignore a lot, like, how, how close entwined horror and comedy truly are. Oh, yeah. Because both are based about getting emotional reactions from the audience. And, in fact, they're they're the only two real genres that I can name that are literally named after the emotional reaction they elicit Mm -hmm. in their audience. But horror and comedy are very closely related. They're very based around getting guttural, emotional reactions out of the audience. And that, and how even the way the audience reacts to it, one of the common human reactions to when you're upset, you're disturbed, you're scared, is laughing. Mm-hmm. Like, there's some, there's, our brain crosses those wires over. So there's, like, people that really understand how to do comedy can very frequently do really great horror, and vice versa. Yeah, because they're both they're emotions that that are like almost impossible to rational rationalize. Like they're like yeah. these 
it, they like you can't really explain why you think something is scary or or makes you or or why you think something's funny. Um, what, what makes me laugh makes me laugh because I think it's funny. What scares me scares me because I think it's scary. Yeah, and and the explanations for it, like people can wrap it up in all the academic language they want to, but it essentially comes down to is that. I thought that was funny, and I thought that was scary. And I think Tusk is both. There, there, there are some. There are some very funny, yeah. like, like especially the first third of this movie. I think has some very funny lines right. in it. Well, I mean, and that's like, I mean, that's like a tricky. That's like a, a tricky thing from like a writing perspective. I feel like if you want to oh. make a character who is like a dick, but you still want the audience to be like someone invested in them and, and like them, you know, you make them funny. Oh my, you know? my, 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 my favorite joke in the movie, I've got to repeat it. It's, it's, it's so distasteful. But I thought it was so funny is the, um, uh, Johnny Depp's character. We call him the first wife killer because oh, yeah. you can't do anything. You can't do anywhere. And she doesn't fuck you. And it's just silence. It's like, that joke's a lot funnier if you've been married multiple times. Yeah. <laughs> that punchline of a, it's, it's much funnier if you've been married multiple times. It's such a great joke. Yeah, that's great. I, I love that. Yeah, no, I loved it. Um, so, so one thing I wanted to finish up with before we get into, like, recommendations and what we're doing next week and all that is what I found very intriguing about this movie, and I've been seeing this for years, is that this is a movie that has really fucked people up. That like really? if yeah, oh my god, if you like look at uh Reddit conversations and like Facebook conversations and horror groups of like most disturbing movies people have seen, so, like movies that fucked them up the most, Tusk always, always comes up in such frequent numbers that it really surprises me. Because there's a lot more movies, way more hardcore and way more disturbing. It's 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 a body horror movie, but it's it's not up there at the worst. But I think a lot of people saw this because of that Kevin Smith connection, and even right. going into it knowing it's a horror movie, they're coming from a mainstream film perspective, and this is their first real like. Because like a lot of the people, they like. Just scrolling through, because I know uh, Tusk was on Netflix for a while, was on Amazon Prime for a while. So, oh, Kevin Smith's horror movie about a guy getting turned into a walrus. Oh, yeah, that's going to be fun. And then they get fucking traumatized Yeah, watching this. Yeah, because it was, I I mean, it, it was disturbing to me. And I, I you know, I, I, I even though I have been exposed to a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of more fucked up stuff for whatever reason uh the um that all those shots of justin long like in the suit and like screaming and stuff was just really it's upsetting it's upsetting 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 is a good the movie ends with him crying as his ex-girlfriend and ex-podcast co-hosts were cheating on him walk off with them together yeah and they've just fed him a fish. I, I just fed him fish. And that's yeah. the ending note of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's nihilistic to its fucking core. And, man, mm-hmm. I, I, like, I really think this belongs up there with, like, the pan- pantheon of, like, great, uh, 
great body horror, great fucked up movies. Definitely. I would put it there with um, any of Cronenberg's stuff, you know. Which um, which uh, Kevin Smith cites as a direct inspiration. Like The Fly, yeah. he directly cites The Fly, as which should be fucking obvious, as a major inspiration oh, yeah. for this movie. Oh, yeah. Yep. So, uh, did you have anything else you wanted to bring up about this? Um, no, not not really, no. <laughs> um, so, Lucas, on seeing this for the first time, do you recommend it? Yes, yes, I strongly recommend it. I think um, if, for whatever reason, you missed it, you know, like maybe the you thought the concept just sounded too ridiculous, or all your friends hated it, and you were just like, oh, this... I'm probably just not going to see it. I think you should just decide to give it a try because it is, um, it's really fucked up. Ah, this is going to sound like super hyperbolic, but like, I, I think it was one of the better horror movies of the decade that just passed. Um, I really oh, do. Oh, I'm, I'm no, I'm um, actually a hundred percent there with, I am a hundred percent there with you. I think it's one of the better ones that just for completely flew underneath most people's radar and even when people are like, oh, yeah, that movie, they just want to mock it. And it's just like, did you not actually watch it? Because it's yeah. pretty fucked up. Yeah, I would put it. Yeah, I would put it up there with like It Follows and Lords of Salem. And oh, when the, the special Witch. effects uh, yeah. had the special effects on It Follows also worked on uh, Tusk. Oh, cool. That's Fun awesome. fact. So there's yeah. a little It Follows crossover there, which I also really, really enjoyed It Follows as well. I really like that yeah. movie as well. So yeah, um, strong recommendation for Tusk. <laughs> yeah, like obviously, like the reason I picked this movie, I love this movie. I think this is a great body horror movie, great modern body horror movie that a lot of people dismissed, especially a lot of body horror fans, because a lot of body horror fans like to take themselves a little seriously. Like in the horror subgenres, the body horror fans like. I like Cronenberg films. I'm like, yes, Cronenberg is one of my favorite directors ever, but like, come on, come on. It doesn't have to be all high art. And we can get a little sleazy about it. And it's cool to see like a modern day sleazy body horror flick because it's so fucking rare. Like, it is. It it, it just like does not come up. Uh, Like, this is like, I've mentioned throughout this episode, like, this is something that was made decades ago. This would be part of something weird catalog this would be screening on 42nd street mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. if it was a little bit later than that trauma would have been distributing it like this oh, yeah. is exactly amongst those type of movies but it was made by fucking kevin smith with an all hollywood pe- pedigree of creative people behind it doing this and that's amazing to me and i love that this exists yeah same and so so i'm like if you're a body horror fan and you have not seen tusk Holy shit, you are missing out on one of, in my opinion, one of the best body horror movies ever made. Um, it's not as gruesome, but I put it up there with, like, the Cronenberg's The Fly and um, the Stuart Gordon movies. And, like, yeah, it's not on the high gore ration, but in some ways, I think actually Kevin Smith makes the movie a little bit. More disturbing than especially like the Kevin, I'm sorry, the uh, Stuart Gordon movies with the focus on the pain that the character is going through, which is a very David Cronenberg thing. So, yeah, I love this movie. Lucas, next week, 
we're going back into trauma, aren't we? Yeah, we are back into trauma. Trauma is our is what we're doing next week. So I had an idea, which I think would be a fun follow up with Tusk, because you know Tusk is Kevin Smith a tour filmmaking here. Oh yeah. And keeping with that and going back to trauma of the classic trauma film horror movie about writing a screenplay movie called Screenplay. Holy shit, I forgot about that movie. I remember that title, though. I'd never actually seen it, but, like, yeah. The movie has a big cult following amongst uh, horror and trauma fans, and it's about the struggles of movie making and reality breaking down, and it seems like a fun thing to segue from from Tusk into. Awesome. Yeah, I am totally down for that. I, uh... I, I like I like stuff I like movies and books that are about the creative process. Like so do just, I. Yeah. But that's also just up. That's also just us, you know, blowing ourselves over, uh, which over is, that. Which is fine. Masturbation is okay. Yeah. So yeah. So so next week it's a it's a trauma movie screenplay uh, directed by Rufus B. Cedar. All right, cool. So, do you have anything to plug? Yes, I do, in oh, fact. Oh, shit. So, what uh, I want to plug is that this is for Portland, Oregon listeners, is that Saturday, May 14th, 7 p.m. at the Hollywood Theater, we're going to have the Portland... Uh, I shouldn't say we're because I have nothing to do with this. I'm just attending. I already bought my tickets. But we're, as in Portland, is going to have the Portland premiere of Shakespeare's Shitstorm with Lloyd Kaufman, hopefully in attendance. Um, it just got announced. He also just announced he caught COVID. We got one month for Lloyd to get better and get back out here on the West Coast. I already got my tickets purchased for it. I'm going to see Shakespeare's Shitstorm Saturday, May 14th, 7 p.m. at Hollywood Theater. You can be there with me to see the Portland premiere of Shakespeare's Shitstorm. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah, so that's my plug. Definitely do that if you can. My plug is going to be uh, I, I've plugged it before, but because it is it has not happened yet, I'm gonna plug it again on uh, April 30th and May 1st in uh, the Santa in San Antonio if you're in that area. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Come to the Ghoulish Book Festival. There's gonna be uh, yeah, all sorts of vendors of uh, you know horror writers, and um, there's going to be like panels and you know weird campfire stories, and I, I don't know. It's going to be a good time. The, the be... lineup looks like that's going to be a super fun time. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be great. Um, it's put on by Max Booth the Third. Um, the guests of honor include Shane McKenzie, who is uh, kind of. Dipping his toes back into the world of pro. Which it's hilarious to me that he's a guest of honor now. I, know. I knew Shane way back when. Yep, <laughs> and yep. now he's guest of honoring conventions. I'm so proud of him. I'm so proud of him. Oh, it's wonderful. It's <laughs> wonderful. He was also uh, the um, uh, hidden gem of the week on the Extreme Horror subreddit for um, Fat Off of Sex and Violence. That's a good one. So. If you're in, if you're in the, can get to the Texas area, there is Indie Horror Writer Convention going on. If you're in the Northwest, come hang out and watch Shakespeare Shitstorm with me. Hell yeah. Um, and then, yeah, next week, uh, it's Screamplay. Screamplay. All right, till then, have a good one, everybody.